Welcome, welcome to another Rags Riches Secrets. Today what we're talking about is the fourth turning and beginning of the end. And to help you understand this, I'm going to take, I talked in the previous two podcasts, I went and I talked about the fourth turning and kind of a very, very brief recap because it really leads into this next section that I want to cover is the beginning of the end. And here's what I mean. So on a fourth turning, we already know, like collectively we know, okay, so in the beginning there's like, so let's say there's springs, there's spring, then we know there's summer, then we know that there's fall, and we know that there's winter, and there's seasons, or there's cycles. Well, there's seasons and cycles with um, like recessions. You go look at it, it's documented, it happens like almost every 10 years. Somewhere between, there's, there's, a, there's a time span, and it's very consistent on what it takes and it, it triggers. There is a very consistent pattern in which things evolve inside of a civilization. And so they've been broken down into seculums. And there's, there's the, the one I was referring to last time is the fourth turning. You know, the United States has seen like three fourth turnings already. We saw it when we created uh, the independence, culminated in a big war. And each one of these little segments is a, actually a 20-year block of time. Okay, And so collectively to go through this entire season, it's 80 years. Well, the fourth turning is the very last season. That's when the United States was created. Okay, We had another one when we had a civil war. We had another fourth turning when we had World War II and a Great Depression after that. Okay, And we... We are now in the window in which we can anticipate, based on the patterns, that there's going to be another fourth turning. Now, we don't know what it's going to culminate in. It could be a whole series of things. So, things that were referenced, the, the, the book called The Fourth Turning, you can go look at it, and it was saying things that could trigger. You could have a financial crisis. You could have drought. You could have famine. You could have a war in Russia. You could have COVID. They didn't say COVID, but a worldwide pandemic. And they literally went through and listed all kinds of different things that have historically been triggers to cause a fourth turning. Okay, so the thing is, is when a fourth turning occurs, it, re, it reshapes or it changes everything. The problem is, is this time when a fourth turning is going to come, come into play, it is more consequential than we've probably ever seen in our entire lives. Okay, time to back up a little bit. So after... After World War II, the United States got tired of Germany behaving improperly. So what we did is we went in there, we rewrote their constitution in a fashion that made it very difficult for a dictator to show up and to cause and wreck that much havoc on the world again. Because the constitution we gave them made it more complicated for them to take and to do it. It put, it put red tape in there and stuff. Okay, So after we did that, the United States was a superpower. Problem is, it is very, very difficult to occupy okay, different countries throughout the world to secure peace. And so, one of the things that we did is, is like, and I'll give you an example, trying to occupy. So, every time a nation goes off and conquers somebody else, like historically, they would go, they would go inhabit it and then control it. Okay, so you saw that when we tried to occupy Afghanistan, we struggled, even being American, the superpower. We struggled in Iraq. Um, we struggled in, well, there's a few other wars. It'll come to me in a second. But we, we struggled to occupy those territories, being America and a superpower. And so after World War II, 
we literally did not have the body count inside the United States to do that. So what we did is we created up a treaty between us and Europe. Basically, we said, look, we're going to be allies. We have came to a resolution that we would be these allies. Therefore, they helped us as part of that pledge to secure the different elements of the world so that we could prevent such, such things to arise again. What United States did is because we were a super, we were a powerful Navy. In fact, we've got the most powerful Navy in the entire world. We are the best at it, okay? What that means is, is because we didn't want world wars again, we went out and we started policing the oceans across the entire part of the world. Now, this was very, very interesting and very, very helpful. So now if you, let's just say that you're in Saudi Arabia, for example, okay, the only product that you have is oil, okay? In fact, you didn't even know how to bring oil to the market. Now the Americans can show up, teach you how to bring oil to the market. Now you have a very valuable product that you could bring to the market. Thing is, is they don't have a way to secure the transportation from Saudi Arabia to India or Saudi Arabia to the United States or Saudi Arabia to any other country in the world. But it was safe because the Americans came in and we secured the shipping lanes. Historically, when countries were growing, people were starting to develop, they would go out and they would start conquering other countries so that they could get access to products, materials to secure and to secure trade routes so that they could bring those products in. The Americans did that for the entire world, so collectively it became safe for the entire world to transport products across the ocean. And so what happens is, is if you think about, think about your work, what kind of work you do. Are you, do you, like if we go back to the beginning of time. In the beginning, when we were here in America, almost everybody was a planter. We had to plant food so that we could harvest. We were farmers. So we had to harvest it. But as things evolved, then all of a sudden you discovered one farmer through technology he could then take and produce food for many people. So then we started having divergence in jobs that we do. So if you ask yourself, like, what job do you do? Maybe you're a loan officer. Maybe you are, like, I work in the solar space. Um, like, maybe you work at Costco. Maybe you work, there's 10,000, well, not even 10,000. There's tons and tons of jobs, okay? The reason it worked is because all of a sudden we figured out how to allow people to become specialized in their craft, okay? Um, one of the key secrets of the entire process was the very fact that we were able to obtain energy and make energy available so that we could become specialists in area. Like, I'll give you an example. So let's just say you're down in Arizona. Arizona, like, think about it. Problem down there in Arizona is you got to have water, so it's got... The, the temperature is probably, it's, it's too hot in the summer. But collectively, you could have Arizona where the population, it probably wouldn't actually support a huge population. But what we had is, is we had energy that came online. So then we figured out how to divert water from a river and transport long distances so that all of a sudden people could actually access water. Okay, What that also did is it allowed us to start doing agriculture and we could start growing plants in places that we normally could not have grown because the climate was not, you had to have access to water. You had to have access to certain resources. And so as a result, 
by having by figuring out how to transport water to locations. We then made it so new locations could then continue to operate, to grow, and to thrive. And so you can have an Arizona where all of a sudden you've got populations that are growing that are highly dependent on rivers that we can then divert water from those rivers long distances to the location. One of the things that transpired, you may have had one of these jobs like this. As soon as we figured out how to start using oil and we figured out how to start generating energy, we could then create electricity that then allowed us to start, like it basically it pushed the night back. So now you can work, basically electricity allowed us to obtain time so that we could do more work for a longer period of time. So you could work a swing shift or you could work these different shifts and still have access to light. Back in the old days, you actually had to be probably in proximity to a river so that you could have a, a windmill, not a windmill, but a water mill that would then generate energy so that you could take and do things or you had to have a horse or you had to have all these different things. Okay, what changed is, is now that we can get energy inside a car or we can get energy in a tractor or we can get energy to a power plant could then generate electricity and transport it out. We can now start building subdivisions all over the place where people can grow, where people can be. So think of the modern miracle of what happened. You may have had breakfast this morning. Let's just say that you had you had fruit, okay? Where did that fruit source from? What if it came from Florida? What if it came all the way from down in, uh, what if it came from California? What if it came from Mexico? But it's on your plate and you're eating it. And then you say, oh, I've got eggs. Where did those eggs source from? They could have sourced from great distances. You, you ask yourself, well, where did my, where did my uh, bacon come from? It probably came from great distances. Collectively, what you have on your, on your table in front of you is a meal that was derived from many, many locations being able to provide it to you economically so that you could consume it. Historically, that was not possible. We migrated. We had to transition from place to place because we went to this place because this is where the animals were. Okay, then winter set in. We had to migrate to another place where we could plant. And then we had to migrate to this place because we chopped down all the trees. So we didn't have access to timber. So then we had to migrate to another place. You can now be, you can now be in, I was in Tucson, Arizona, down there with a pile of cactuses. We can now transport to you concrete. We can transport to you food. We can give you water. We can give you, like, you name it, we can provide it, okay? You got a power plant, okay? You didn't, the, the, the very oil or the natural gas or whatever it is that causes your power plant to work probably came from someplace like Texas, which was a, a considerable distance. So do you, see, do you see what's happening? Like, we've enjoyed a good life because we've been able to figure out how to do segregation of opportunities so that low-cost producers can provide... Like, not everybody, like, think about it. What, what's your skill set? You, you may have a skill set like my skill set's in solar, but I am not good at building cars. Okay, fortunately, Ford and Chevy or different manufacturers are good at building them. But see, not even they are good at building things necessarily at a good cost. So they will go source parts from Mexico. They will go source, source parts from other places in the world and then bring it together and act as an integrator. And let me show you this. But, but take as I go through this, what the big thing you've got to ask yourself is you've got to understand the supply chains and how all of a sudden all the products and all the stuff that you're consuming are actually getting created 
all over the world and then being brought and integrated into a final assembly. Okay? And, and in part, you've got to understand this because you've got to understand what the disruptions in the supply chain mean for individuals. So we're going to take a look at the iPhone, for example. So you've got a $1,000 iPhone. Here's my iPhone right here, $1,000 iPhone. Let's see where the iPhone is derived from. So 75 parts come from the United States, nine come from Mexico and Latin America, five come from Israel, nine from the United Kingdom, six from Belgium and the Netherlands, 13 from Germany and Austria, six from the Czech Republic and Hungary, seven from France and Italy, 330 from China, 149 from Japan, 38 from South Korea, 35 from Taiwan, 26 from Malaysia, 23 from the Philippines, 19 from Thailand, 18 from Singapore, and 10 from Vietnam. Did, like, did you just see all of those countries that I literally just named that come together to provide parts that then becomes a part of this particular iPhone? Okay, the only way, the only way that this actually successfully works is for the very fact that the Americans take and protect and patrol the oceans and make it safe so you could transport stuff across the entire world. Okay? Now, here's the problem. And this is where you have to, you read this book, the beginning of the end, and you start understanding the problem. Okay? I don't have to. I'll just show you current day events that are happening. Okay, right now. So, you remember how when we had COVID hit? COVID hit. All of a sudden... Supply chains around the entire world became disrupted. Ford could no longer get chips imported into the United States so they could actually put it inside the vehicles. So they had piles of inventory of vehicles that are sold, but they couldn't deliver it to the customer. Chevy had the same problem. Okay, uh, I had the same problem when I went to buy a side-by-side. -side. I wanted one with a display. Okay, The display in mind required a chip. They stopped taking orders because they could no longer provide the chips. I got, I ordered two of these really cool high-end cameras. Okay, my cameras took six months because they couldn't get the chips in. The supply chain got disrupted. Okay, so COVID's kind of passed, right? Okay, Apple right now is trying to produce and manufacture iPhones so they could deliver it to their end customer. China has been cracking down, has a zero tolerance policy on COVID. As a result, People in China are having their, their productions down. They are not getting the deliveries that they actually needed to get to be able to get the iPhone to the end user. And so you see right now China is starting to have just, just this Saturday or just this Sunday, they actually start having some significant protests where people are talking about freedom, talking about wanting the, their current president out of office, okay? And as a result, they're seeing disruptions. In addition to those disruptions, China, China has to have energy to be able to manufacture goods and to provide it. Problem is, is they have shortages of energy and electricity in China now. We're literally in a worldwide energy crisis at this moment. China does not have the power to power the plants that then can then manufacture products that can then deliver those products to you. And so there's a pullback that's starting to take place. Now, you take a look at this. And China is as good an example as any as you're looking at it. So they, they, uh, they have a shortage of power now. 
which means that they can't produce. They're starting to run into conflicts inside the country. So they got those things coming into play. The, the other challenge that China has, okay, let's, let's pause on China and let's look at how this takes and affects it. So you know the, the war in Russia or with Ukraine, okay? Russia is attacking Ukraine. Ukraine provides 41% of the entire world's wheat supply. So Russia is now preventing that from actually getting to the marketplace. And as that's being blocked from getting into the marketplace, there are people in this world that depend upon, depend upon that food to be able to eat it to survive. And so as we go back to China, China, what they discovered is, is they could have segregations of duty. They could become a manufacturing hub. Okay, What they did is where they used to plant food, rice patties, all kinds of stuff, where they used to plant food, they got in and they manufactured facilities and buildings on top of those locations. Now you say, okay, what would happen if all of a sudden they can't manufacture products to get it out? And if they can't have products to go out, then they, can't have, they won't have the money to bring products in to feed their people. So then they said, let's go plant some food. Then they go look at the place they planted food and they discovered, oh snap, we built buildings on top of that. Oh snap, we changed our entire structure. Then you've got the Americans that are saying, you know what? Like, if I can't get stuff from China, why would I want to patrol those oceans? Like, if I can't, like, America's like, we're at 30, we're at $30 trillion in debt. Like, what if we're tired of policing the entire world? Like, what if we don't want to help them anymore? Like, why? There's, there's going to come a tipping point, and I'll bet you guys have asked that question and you've seen it in movies. It's like, why do we have, why do we have naval bases throughout the world? Why do we have, why are we sitting out there policing everybody? And then in movies, you have like the Koreans or whatever saying, those Americans, they think they're the world's police. They are. Like the reason the world prospered the way it did is because the world was able to, we secured the shipping lanes so product could get in and out. Okay, so now look, if you don't have energy, like what could you accomplish without energy? Like you can't, right? Do you think about it? Like what, what, the, the, Oil, oil powers the world. Oil, you got coal. Those two things taking the power of the world. So, like your house, what would it be like if all of a sudden, or in your entire neighborhood, all of a sudden the lights went out? Okay? Now, it's hard to think of it, but it's happening in the world. Why? Because we have an energy shortage. So, everybody's coming out and attacking. We don't want oil. We want to get away from oil. We want this and that, right? So, then you got, you got companies like Chevron, like, for example, right here, right now. There is, there's a diesel shortage. We have the lowest diesel levels uh, that we've ever seen, like almost ever since we started, like demand versus availability. So like I was talking to a trucker, he takes and he transports products all around the western part of the United States. He covers eight states. He said that when he goes and he tanks up, he's got a 140 gallon uh, tank um, on his truck. He says that basically every or every single store, um, fuel store, will only allow him to get 80 gallons of, of, of diesel. And he's like, because what we got to do is we got to take and we got to spread it around. We got to spread it around. We got to make sure that everybody has some. And so he can no longer top off anymore. Okay, so we can't top off. We already know that there's a shortage. And then you've got the the CEO of Chevron. So on June 5th, 2022, Mike Worth, the CEO of the giant Chevron, says 
he will never he will never build a diesel refinery inside the U.S. again because it takes it takes probably like ten years to bring one of those assets online so they can start becoming productive. But why take on the risk if you don't think like if you if you're if there's fear in your eyes that you're not going to be able to be rewarded? Why do it? Okay. So now we have like a worldwide diesel shortage. We have plants that are not coming back online. We have plants that came offline during COVID. See, the supply chains become disrupted. But if you think about it, you're like, oh, I got a gas vehicle. Okay, It was a semi that delivered the gas to the gas station. It was a semi that delivered the food to Costco so you could go shopping. It was the semi that took clothes and all the stuff to the mall so that you could go shopping. It was a semi that delivered all the products to the Amazon warehouses so that you could go and shop on there. <clears throat> you see the problem. So here's the problem. If you understand that there's a shortage, you also then start to understand, did you realize that some countries are not as rich as the United States? Indeed. Europe right now, they their energy is so high that, like, so they use natural gas to generate electricity. Okay? <clears throat> Excuse me. Natural gas to generate electricity. Their, their electric bills are so high because energy and the access to energy is, is so expensive at the moment that their electric bill is more than their rent and their mortgage payments. Okay? That's where they're at. Now we're rolling into winter. They need natural gas to heat the house and they need natural gas to generate the electricity. And the question is, is how are they going to get it? Okay? Europe is richer than Pakistan. Europe is richer than a lot of countries in Africa. Europe is richer than a lot of other places. So Europe will spend the money to get access to the fuel. There was, just last week, there was a tanker that was actually headed towards Europe, and the Americans called them and said, we would like to have that fuel brought to New York. We have a fatter checkbook. We will write a bigger check if you just bring that tanker to, to us. Okay? And so the tanker literally got diverted in route from Europe to the United States. Okay, what does that mean for you if you're in Pakistan or you're in some of these other countries that are not as wealthy? Okay, you're in the manufacturing supply process. Like when I told you about all the places that Apple gets their products from, like Malaysia. Malaysia, do they have pockets as deep as like the United States or Europe? Nope. What about the Philippines? What about Thailand? What about Singapore? What about Vietnam? What about South Korea? Uh, what about the Czech Republic and Hungary? What about, um, what, like Mexico, Latin America? There, there's several countries on here that probably have deeper pockets that have the ability to buy more. But do you see the collective problem? All of a sudden, you will see disruptions in the supply chain. We're seeing disruptions in the supply chain right here, right now, on the fact that there's diesel shortages. There's disruptions because the manufacturers, the refineries, will not operate inside the United States because they're concerned that we are pushing these guys out. Okay, then the the I, here here's here's a crazy thing. So in the absence of energy, none of what we enjoy actually exists. The factories don't exist. the The ability to produce at mass scale doesn't exist. Like all of this is highly highly dependent on energy. And it's all highly, highly dependent upon the Americans to secure the oceans. Because in the absence of it, historically, in the absence of somebody like us 
securing the oceans. They were patrolled by pirates. Like, you take Saudi Arabia, who's taking and trying to ship stuff, and they, sh they, they ship products past India, and India's like, I think I would, I think I should have that tanker. See, the thing with an oil tanker, massive ship, it only goes about 15 miles an hour on the water, okay? Not exactly a high-speed boat that can literally outmaneuver somebody coming out to be a pirate and to capture the ship. And so collectively, if you were to take and you would appeal it back, economies, populations, populations throughout the entire world became much, much, much larger in the locations in which they're at because they could source food from other places inside the world, okay? So you got some countries that are just horrible when it comes to being agriculture, but it didn't matter because you could source it, okay? Energy made it so that you could push back time and you could have manufacturing capacity. And as you see these things start to unwind, and as you see the, the Americans start to pull back from policing the entire world, what we will walk into is what he calls the beginning of the end. Or in other words, there will be massive amount of people that will starve. There will be massive amount of people that are going to have a very, very hard time because it is all predicated on the Americans securing the entire globe and it's all predicated on having access to sources and products from each location. And so, look, if you look at a pullback, what does it mean for Saudi Arabia? The Americans don't secure the lanes. They don't have the naval power to protect it or to secure that the, the, the routes that they could deliver the product to the end location. And if they can't protect it and secure it to the end location, those end locations don't get the resources that they need. See it? it it's kind of crazy. Like... What, what it is, is we've never on a global scale ever experienced anything like this ever before. And because of that, we've never had populations in the world this big. We've never had peace throughout the world at this level. We've never been able to take stuff from India, bring it to the United States successfully at a very low cost, or from Brazil to the United States, or from Brazil to Africa, or from Africa to Europe, or from um, Australia to different locations in the world. We've never, ever had this before. And once that stops, once those waters are no longer secure, it all falls apart. That is the beginning of the end. And so, like, if you're trying to figure out some practical things to do, actually, I'm going to do another podcast on this and give you guys some practical solutions on stuff that you ought to at least consider. Because... Knowing, knowing that there's a problem, half the strategy or half the battle is being prepared so that you can address the problem head on rather than being caught unaware and then trying to figure out how to deal with it. Like right now, if you wanted to buy an iPhone, there's about a 30 to 40 day wait time to be able to get an iPhone. Hasn't historically been that way, right? Historically, you used to be able to go top off your vehicle with diesel, but that changed. Okay, there's there's things that are changing. Historically, I didn't have to wait six months to get a camera. Didn't have to. Historically, COVID didn't hit, and all of a sudden, every location throughout the entire United States ran out of toilet paper and baby wipes and you name it. Okay, we haven't seen this before, but we've got signs and warnings to help us get prepared because, like, COVID was 
in, in an essence, COVID was a blessing in disguise that helped expose our vulnerabilities to what, is, what we have put together inside the entire world. And so the question is, is how do you anticipate it and how do you become prepared so that it doesn't bite you in the butt? And might as well figure out how to invest while you're at it. That, my friends, is another Rags Riches Secrets, and I will talk to you later.